This is Give Me Some Truth, a podcast from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. You gotta leave your money behind you. Raise your hand Thank you for joining us on Give Me Some Truth. Uh, I think we have something kind of interesting uh, today. We're going to actually discuss what our ideal client is. And the reason why we're doing this is, first of all, in the sake of transparency, and second of all, we've been working with a business coach. And this is one of the first times that in my career that I've ever worked with a coach. And I don't know about you guys, John and Keith, but uh, I've, I've never worked with a coach before, and it's kind of an eye-opening experience. Yeah, it's like a Bill Belichick type of guy, right? Well, I mean, I think so. <laughs> At least we think. Well, a lot less yelling than I imagine <laughs> Bill Belichick goes through. I think it's a little more calm, a little, little more rational, maybe a little more Craig Council. But that's probably a business, true. Yeah. Business manager rather than coach. I think the least, uh, I think the coach that I, a coach that I would least want to play for would be like a line coach, like one of the maybe an offensive line coach. They seem like they're yellers. And they're I, all big dudes. Yeah, I, I'm thinking back to playing college football. I, I can tell you that the coaches, uh, they don't really treat you like they do when you're in Little League, that's for sure. But th- this guy that we're working with is actually great. And, you know, you brought up a really good good point there. You know, it's first time doing it. But, you know, we've got a really successful business growing here and some great people working here and some great clients. But we're, we're never going to stop trying to become the best and to get better every day at the client you know, service and, and the, how we want to deliver that. And so this has been, it's been an eye opener for us and, you know, talking about things. But the one question he asked us was, what's your ideal client? And it got us thinking and brainstorming. And we just thought it'd be great to even share with, uh, with our listeners and our clients of what our ideal client is. And I think the fallacy of saying what your ideal client is, is that we just say, oh, it's a client with a whole boatload of money. And I think we've all had an experience in our careers. And I can remember one uh, distinctly, one of the first clients that we had at Walkner Con when we opened the doors uh, was was basically we, we had one appointment and they signed up with us and, you know, they brought a sizable amount of assets and they ended up being such a headache and they didn't want to take advice. And it was just actually a total disaster. And you think about, you know, when you're first starting out, you think about, OK, well, you just need the client because you need to survive. And then you get to a point in your career where you don't need that. And it's not to say that we don't need to grow here as an organization, but it's not worth it to have somebody that sucks the life out of you and is so either demanding or they don't take your advice. I mean, it's our job to be financial advisors and it's shocking to me. Some of the people that want to pay us for our advice, but then not take it. Well, and I also think it, it, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, it being a headache or that sort of thing, but it's also bad for our reputation in the community and at large. If we take on clients that really aren't a good fit, they aren't going to be happy clients word is going to spread, you know, either locally or around the world, you know, depending on who the client is, that they're not satisfied that the firm doesn't listen to them or the firm isn't doing what they're wanting. And it's not good for us and our reputational risk in the long run. It's not good for the client either. They're going to be dissatisfied. They're not going to be, you know, uh, playing, you know, happy with what they've done. And I think, uh, you know, part of it, a lot of it comes from the side of, you know, if you're reading in the financial press, what should you look for in a financial advisor? But we're kind of peeling back the curtain here and saying, hey, here's what we're looking for in clients. That's right. And when we look at some of those attributes, uh, you know, we have 
slightly different attributes among what we're all looking for in the firm. You know, Keith being more internationally based, John and I uh, being more domestic based and more local, I would say. But overall, I think there's there's a few commonalities that we have and we've decided on as a firm. So, um, John, what uh, what would be one one attribute that you think is absolutely essential for an ideal client? Well, for me, you know, there, there's a number of them, but the one for me is that they have to find value in advice. And the reason I say finding a value is, is that we we provide advice that we truly believe, even though we get paid for it, is going to help people to not only make more money in making decisions based on finding out their risk tolerance and their goals, but help them to avoid some taxes in the future, um, you know, do some things with their estate planning that maybe helps them to avoid probate. There are other ways that we can help them that actually saves them money. And that's what we're trying to do. We, we, we really don't want to be in a situation where we have clients who all they want to see is returns because at the end of the day, that's not a value. We, and our value proposition is really being able to offer advice. And so for me, it's valuing advice is my number one uh, thing that I have. So I think that uh, as a firm, financial planning is at our core. Investment management is an important spoke of that wheel. But overall, uh, you know, we've never said to any of our clients, our main goal is outperformance. There are some investment managers and some financial advisors and, and there are differences between the two, you know, titles there. Uh, but some investment managers will say, hey, we're going to go out and outperform, and that's our, our sole goal. And I think you live by performance and die by performance. And overall, it's very difficult to get outperformance in these markets. Uh, we don't have, you know, 50 CFAs in this room. So, you know, it's, it's pretty difficult to be able to, uh, to get that sort of outperformance without having that sort of manpower. Well, and as well, if you look at, you know, performance data, today's winner is you know, tomorrow's, uh, you know, goat as it were. And, and so it's very hard if that's what you're going to build on. And I don't think it's our, you know, someone who values advice. It's not one of our core values to chase after returns. We, I think as a firm believe that building slowly, making smart choices, making smart choices that'll add up over time are where our value as advisors lies. And, the easiest way to getting to that, you know, work optional lifestyle at the end. That's exactly right. And now, Keith, uh, can you think of a core tenant or a, uh, a core attribute that you can think of that would be uh, something that an ideal client would possess? Uh, you know, another kind of example is they're someone that we get along with personally. They uh, are someone that we like chatting with. We like talking to. We find you know common ground engaging with uh, personally. And it's funny when this topic came up, what defines someone that we get along with personally varied across uh, the number of advisors, I think, in some sense. Yeah, I remember the conversation that we had, Keith. We were joking about it, uh, but the sort of disposition of the clients seems to vary uh, as far as what you really uh, value and what you enjoy uh, just due to personality types, right? I mean, I know you've done a bunch of research on uh, personality types and, and how those attributes kind of fit with, with the attributes that you possess. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting, you know, I am a, by nature, a builder, which means I'm a little more introverted, uh, than especially Jonathan, I think is uh, Mr. Extrovert. Uh, you know, you can't find anyone in town that Jonathan won't talk to, but I think it's one of those things where 
we look at how people make decisions and are they compatible with how we like to present evidence. And, you know, for me, I'm more of a, you know, introvert. I like to present the evidence to people and let them take it and think over it and make their decisions as they go forward. But, you know, other guys want to be involved at every step and have that conversation. I'm also, you know, uh, people who, are, who are, tend to be a little bit more cynical, I think, uh, line up with my, uh, my approach to things. Uh, you know, I think that's just being realistic. But, uh, Clint, when, when you were chatting, you were talking more about you like more optimistic people. Uh, that's very true. Yes, I like optimistic people. And I actually, you know, for me, uh, one of my core tenets is really that I'd like to see people that don't take things too seriously. I mean, money is such an important topic, but we can all take a moment to have a nice laugh. And I think humor is very important uh, in my business, uh, in Nate and my business as a team. Uh, you know, when we're working together with clients, uh, we like to have that sort of levity in those moments where we can sit back and just laugh and not take ourselves too seriously and be a little bit self-deprecating. Uh, so, you know, I think that, uh, that sarcasm is, is, uh, you know, that higher form of comedy. So, you know, <laughs> it's subtle, uh, you know, it's, it's all of that. I, I enjoy all of that. And I like to see those sort of attributes in clients. I, I don't like to see somebody that, uh, comes in and has that, that storm cloud above their head and it's raining on them all the time. Uh, so I, I look for people that are a bit more optimistic and those are generally people that gravitate towards us in meetings. You know, when we have an initial meeting, you can kind of tell in the first five minutes whether or not it's, it's going to work out. And that's really that do our personalities match. Uh, for me, I look towards, uh, you know, optimists and almost, uh, you know, this sort of unbridled optimism. I really enjoy that about people. And then a sense of humor is really important. Yeah. And, you know, obviously having a sense of humor, um, you know, being people that are likable, but when it gets down to it, when we start giving advice after we've learned the situation, we've analyzed our, our client or potential clients, uh, portfolio, their goals, their life situation. And we actually give the advice. I, I personally like to work with clients that are willing to implement that advice. And I don't ever mind being challenged or asked why. And we talk through that, but the ideal client is going to be one that is not challenging you on everything. And every single time that you give advice, I like to think about, you know, I, I go in to see my doctor and sometimes the doctor says, Hey, I, you know, from your symptoms, I think you should go on this medication. And my first response wouldn't be, well, I was looking on WebMD or I talked to my mom about it and my mom told me that I should do this because that's what she did 30 years ago. And ultimately that happens to us in this business. And, you know, we, we listen and then we always come back with, I understand and I, I know you value the opinion of your mom or your dad or your next door neighbor that you were mowing the lawn that happened to be telling you what they did with their insurance policy from 30 years ago. But we give our advice based on what we believe is in the best interest of our clients. And in analyzing that situation and analyzing their investments, you know, that advice is coming from, in many of our cases, you know, over 10 years of doing this and really understanding the products that are out there, the risks that are out there, how you can use certain things like insurance or investments to achieve goals or to cover risks. And when we give our opinion, it's because we truly believe it's in your best interest. So for me, that's another one is I like, I like clients that are willing to take advice. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, we are consultants at the end of the day. Um, and I think 
more and more in our business, we're asked to be coaches as well. And I think that's going to be one of the growing pieces of our business is sort of that consulting coaching arm uh, where we really do take a person while they're in their career and give them advice uh, from the experiences that we've seen. And there is no substitute for experience in our business. Uh, I think that's what's really important is that, you know, if you've lived through a down market uh, or you've spent the time to handhold clients through various times in their lives, you know then how to handle the next situation. So there's nothing wrong with somebody that's 22 that's entering that the business. You can't give them experience, but what I'll tell you is that somebody that's 42 versus somebody that's 22 has more life and business experiences. And when you're trusting your money with them, uh, you really have to take a close look as, as far as you know what sort of experiences have they had and how they can make you successful in the future. Well, and, you know, the way Jonathan presented it was kind of humorous, but when, uh, you know, you look, there's a, a great uh, white paper by Vanguard, a name everybody has heard of, uh, talking about what is your advisor's alpha. That is to say, you know, what kind of percentage difference can a good financial advisor provide to your portfolio? And generally they say, hey, a good financial advisor can provide 3 to 5% uh, value. One of the areas that it's really hard for them to codify or define the number on, and they leave it undefined in the article, and I should note we're happy to share that article with you if you send us in an email. It's, you know, 15 pages long, so not sure if you want to... So Keith you know, likes to read it, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not sure you want to take that on vacation with you over the <laughs> summer. Um, but what they talk about is behavioral coaching is one of those huge things that advisors provide that a lot of people don't think of. Um, and, you know, we were talking about that example of, you know, somebody across the, the back, you know, gate giving you advice. And I always think back to the, you know, the dot-com boom, you know, when everybody had a hot stock tip. And, you know, oh, I'm going to go and take $1,000 and put it in Yahoo and it's going to blow up or, you know, that sort of thing. But as investing has, you know, progressed, financial advisors have shown, hey, that hot stock tip isn't necessarily ideal for you. Whereas, you know, for a 20 year old, you know, you've got an extra $500. Hey, let it ride. Right. And so the idea that there's just one right answer for everybody, for your grandmother, it may have been the right answer to, you know, put money in, in 50 different bank accounts because she lived through the great depression and got a free toaster every time she did that. But for you now in 2019, that's not necessarily the, the wisest choice. And I think that's part of it too. I love the nineties, man. It was so <laughs> great when people were, if we were all firing their financial advisors, which were really stockbrokers at the time, really, if you think about it, there's very few providers of true fiduciary financial advice at that time. The industry's come so far. And then people were buying pets.com stock and they were watching it intraday during their work day how many work hours were lost to that while they watched their stocks go up an incredible amount over the day and then it all came crashing down in 2000 2001 and 2002 well and and i remember you know my brother uh was in high school you know in that period i was in early college and uh i remember my dad going you know your your brother's friend took 500 dollars and put it in this stock and it went to 5000 you know and we were people were just taking advice from anywhere. I mean, you did pretty well in the in the internet bubble, right, with your... I bought Netscape, and then I lost on Massimo because I thought it was tremendously undervalued for no real good reason. Is that the college uh, scandal, Massimo? Uh, 
no, no, it was not. No, it was not. But not it was the you know, clothing a trend, company. And, well, it was and Becky's husband. That wasn't. <laughs> no, that was a trendy uh, clothing company. I yeah. don't know exactly what, what you're talking about. But uh, what was there a scandal there? Yeah, it was. Uh, that's the husband for uh, Lori Laughlin from Full House. Um, that her husband is Massimo from Era. Oh boy! Stock, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, you didn't know that. I yeah. didn't know that. That still, is so still, great. Still sold at Target. That's so it's Target well. I should have held it then uh, instead <laughs> of selling it. I mean, my dad owns Sun Microsystems. He's like, he, he didn't know what Sun Microsystems did, and that's fine, you know. And he bought that, and it went way up. And uh, my favorite local story was uh, Sonic Foundry. Yeah, because if you yeah. look at a chart of that one, uh, do yourself a favor, look up S O F O when you get a chance and, and look at the chart and then where it is today. It is amazing. Well, you, bring, you bring that to a good point as we talk about that ideal client of sometimes we like when clients come in and talk to us about the bad financial decisions that they've made or the bad stocks. Cause we always hear about the good ones or people come in and say, Oh, I really hit it on this one back in the day. And can you find that? And we talk it through about, you know, gambling versus investing and, and investing towards a goal. Most people weren't focused on that during the dot-com period. It was, it was all about my neighbors doing this, and it goes back to a podcast we did last year on, on FOMO, the fear of missing out. And ultimately, when somebody walks in the door, you refer, our best clients uh, do a great job of referring people like them to us. You know, we talk about that fear of missing out. We're not afraid to miss out. You know, we're not, we don't sit there and, and think, uh-oh, are we missing on marijuana stocks because we hear all of the things that you guys are hearing too. And we evaluate them. And when we put them aside and we say, is this something that is really trying to get our clients and the people that we're entrusted with their money to their goals? It's easy for us to say no. And we, we know that we can go out there and find the right investments. But the, the client, you know, telling us about some of the bad things that have happened and the times that they lost money, you know, that's a, that's a good thing for us. And we want people to be open and honest because the, ultimately the only way that we're going to be able to get under the hood and understand them is to know where they've been. And if you've, if all you've ever done is really do well in stocks, then you're, you're probably not going to be in our office. Well, that's very true. And also, you know, when you talk about those, uh, you know, the weed stocks and all the, you know, there's always, there's always a new dot com someplace. I mean, it's been most recently, it's been marijuana stocks. It's been Bitcoin. Uh, before that it was gold. So there's always going to be something. And I think that's the value of advice that we provide is being able to walk somebody back a little bit and then also help them implement if they truly want to do it. I mean, I, I've bought, weed stocks for some of my clients and uh, you know they're baskets of stocks and etfs but you know a couple clients own them and they wanted to own them and i just said okay well let's take a look at what you want to own in your portfolio and what percentage and let's plan this out so it's not that we're all going to tell somebody no when they're looking at a flavor of the day every day but it is working with their sort of constraints that they need to place on themselves and make sure that they're doing the right thing in their portfolio and not putting 80 percent of their portfolio in weeds and canopy wealth because they just decide you know or well, and I think all of us have, um, you know, this, this similar approach and, and we all look at it because, you know, some of this is as, a, as well, you know, if you can silo out for these longer, bigger bets, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with taking that chance. And I think, you know, that adapt, adaptability on our part and on our clients' parts, you know, when we talk about willingness to take advice this is a case. If they come in and they say, hey, I want to put 100% in weed stocks or heaven forbid Bitcoin. And uh, I really wish I had been here so you could have all heard my long Bitcoin rant. Um, you know, if they want to do 100% in that, fine. But if they have an interesting investment idea, and as well, our clients come from a variety of backgrounds. And I think this is as well, John, one of the, the things that we've talked about of, of good clients 
is they're able to achieve goals. And so if they're, you know, successful in their industry and they understand their industry and they say, hey, you know, this is an idea that I had looking at the landscape of our industry. We want to be able to work with them on that as well. Yeah. So if we have to summarize kind of what we've come up with so far and and mind you, this isn't a final list here, but we gave some attributes of ideal clients and we listed clients they are trusting, they value, and I would say an implement uh, an mm-hmm. outside opinion uh, from their financial advisors. They have a sense of humor. Uh, they don't challenge everything, so they can seek to understand, certainly, but they're not out there trying to be the sharp end of the stick, challenging everything, every piece of advice that we give. They aren't uber fee conscious. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's another attribute, too, that I think is important. You know, it's good to manage to expenses, but if the only thing you care about of expenses is kind of like somebody that decides that they want to cut their own hair. Uh, yeah, you can save money, but you might end up with a really crappy haircut. So. Well, it, you're, you're exactly right. And there's, there's a price and there's a cost. The price is what you pay and the cost is what it costs you. And there are people out there that don't want to pay for financial advice, and that's fine. We're looking for the people out there that do value that. And I know that I, we happily, when we talk, meet with prospects, happily tell them, if you're shopping around, we understand. Talk to other advisors. I know that you will not find a value out there for what we charge for financial planning and wealth management at our firm compared to what's what else is out there. And I know I used to work at Merrill Lynch. You know, I've worked at other firms around here. I know what our competition charges, but we build into our cost of, of what we charge. And, and they, when they ask what your fee is, we build into it knowing the value that we can bring. And there's really nobody else out there that's going to be able to add that value for that fee. Well, and I think, uh, you know, I talk to people around the world and I say, you know, one of the things about Wisconsinites, and it's one of the things that I like about this firm is we're a bit like Scots in that we're a little we're a little cheap let's be honest Wisconsinites we don't (laughs) like to pay unnecessarily and I think we all on our end approach this from hey are we providing this person value in excess of what they're paying us and if we're not doing that if you're not feeling like we're doing that then it's not a good relationship you know and I think we've all had clients that we've said hey you could pay us we'd love to have you but it just doesn't make sense for you to pay us. That's the number one reason why I've turned down working with a prospective client is I did not feel that I could add a value to them for what they needed that I thought would be fair. And we, we don't hesitate to let people know, but we also help them find somebody in the industry that can, because we do know, and we have relationships with other people who are advisors or, or are at a stage, um, you know, or in the position of their job to be able to help them. So if you're asking um, or talking to your friends and you're, and you're a client of ours that's listening right now or somebody listening and you said, you know, what, uh, what would be an ideal client for Wagner Condon? I, I hope after listening to this today you understand. We never even talked about asset size. That's not what it's about. And we're willing to sit down and have a cup of coffee or have a meeting with anybody that's looking to work towards a goal that values advice. Um, and, and, and wants to you know, be able to sit down and, and find out if we can you know, be a good fit together. So thanks for joining us so much on another installment of Give Me Some Truth. You gotta leave your money behind you Raise your hand to the sky Ask the masses for silence Look more dead in the eye Advisor.
Advisory services are offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Wachner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Wachner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Wachner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see wachnercondon.com for additional disclosures.